drive time, keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic drive time. With Joe McLean and Emily Alcaraz. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. I'm your host, Joe McLean. It's so good to be on with you this morning. Keeping you informed and inspired. How is your morning going so far? Wherever you're going today, we're going to be praying for your intentions, but I hope it's going to be great. I hope whatever you're dealing with today is a little more peaceful than it has been in the past, let's say, week or so. Praise be to God. Let's just have some peace about us. I think that's that's what I'm hearing right now. I would love to know what you're hearing. If you want to be a part of our program, there's several ways that you can participate in our program. One of the easiest ways is to follow us on our live video feed over at facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. It's a great place to find uh, a way to comment on the program, to uh, to interact with us. We'd love to see you there. Facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Of course, we're on YouTube as well and on Twitter and other places you can search for us uh, looking for Catholic Drive Time or just search for grnonline.com. Great program lined up for you this hour. Uh, we're talking about the financial scandal. You might have Remember that we, a couple, I guess it was a week or so ago, we reported that over a billion dollars allegedly was transferred to Australia and nobody knew what that money went, where it went, what it went for. Well, Edward Penton has followed up on that, uh, that story with a new article about money laundering and whether or not, in fact, it was a billion dollars. And he's going to be our guest in this hour. We're going to discuss that story and plus so much more breaking news, saint of the day, gospel of the day. I have a, a list of topics to discuss in the what's concerning us section, but I'm sure our, our team here does as well. Good morning to you, Emily Alcaraz. Good morning, Joe. How are you doing? Praise God I'm alive. How are you? I'm also alive. Now, yesterday was first day of class for you? <laughs> That's right. First day of the spring semester. How'd that go? It went great. I'm taking a lot of great classes. I'm really excited to take um, philosophy of John Paul II. Spring, so. Did you say spring semester? It's 30 degrees outside. <laughs> it is really cold. It's been really cold this weekend. Um, but yeah, it's it's... The second semester of the year, so spring semester. Well, that's we'll exciting. get there. We'll get there. It'll well, come. All right, praise God. And uh, Adrian Fonseca is on the ones and twos. Good morning to you, Adrian. Good morning, Joe. Praise God. Uh, so we have a great show lined up, lots to discuss. And if you're at all able to join us in the second hour, we're going to have a great and fun conversation with Dr. Holly Ordway about Tolkien, all things Tolkien, his conversion, his uh, his Catholic faith wrapped up in, in the mystery of his, his fictional writing. All of that's coming up the next hour, if you're able to join us. But let's begin this hour with prayer. I'm taking your intentions and including them with mine. I'm praying for my family. I'm praying for our team here today, our equipment, and our broadcast. So let's bring these to Our Lady, Queen of Heaven and Earth, and ask her to whisper these into the ear of her Son, that he may draw us ever so more closely into his most sacred heart. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection implored thy help or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. And now the headlines with Emily Alcarez. 71 people have been arrested in a human trafficking sting in Florida. The Hillsborough County Sheriff, Chad Cronister, told reporters 
Operation Interception was created to combat human trafficking leading up to the Super Bowl coming to Tampa in February of 2021. All 71 suspects are male and were charged with soliciting another to commit prostitution. Sheriff Chronister said, quote, With less than a month away from the big game, our covert operations continue and will continue seeking those who choose to sexually exploit others in our community. The Super Bowl should not be a venue where these types of crimes occur on the sidelines, whether it's before the game, during the game, or after the game. Pope Francis has appointed the first lay head of the Roman Curia's Disciplinary Commission. On January 8th, the Pope named Vincenzo Buonomo, rector of the Pontifical Lateran University in Rome, as the new president. The commission, founded in 1981, is the main disciplinary body within the Curia, the administrative apparatus of the Holy See. It is responsible for determining sanctions against curial employees accused of misconduct, ranging from suspension to dismissal. Buonamo also made history in 2018 when he became the first lay professor to be named rector of the Pontifical Lateran University. The Catholic bishops of New Jersey are asking Catholics to fast and pray on the anniversary of the legalization of abortion in America. The day of prayer and fasting will take place on January 22nd, which marks the 48th anniversary of the Supreme Court's Roe v. Wade decision that mandated legal abortion nationwide. The day of prayer will take place a week ahead of the National March for Life in Washington, D.C. In October, New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy announced legislation that would make pro-abortion mandates part of state law. A letter signed by the New Jersey bishops said, quote, As we mark this tragic event in our nation's history, we remember the millions of lives lost to abortion and pray for the mothers and fathers left to suffer the tragic effects. A fake news story about Pope Francis gained traction on the Internet this weekend. A conspiracy theory website claimed that Pope Francis had been arrested and that there was a blackout in the Vatican. Neither of these claims turned out to be true. When asked about the report on January 11th, the Holy See Press Office responded by pointing to Pope Francis' busy schedule of meetings on Monday morning, implying that it was business as usual at the Vatican. I'm Emily Alcaraz, and these are your Tuesday morning headlines through a Catholic lens. St. Marguerite Bergeau, pray for us. Born April 17, 1620 in France, she was the sixth of 12 children to devout parents. But at 19 years old, her mother died, and she began to care for her younger brothers and sisters. At 27, her father died, and she was left to continue to raise all of her family on her own. And once she had accomplished that, she turned her attention to the vocation God had entrusted or had designed for her life. And at that time, it just so happened that the governor of Montreal, Canada, was in France looking for teachers to come to the New World to teach at school and religious classes. And she decided that was God's call for her, and she went to North America. She would spend essentially the rest of her life there, save just a few trips home. Now, she entered into this wonderful world, this new world in the 17th century, uh, where there was a lot of unrest, especially among Jesuit missionaries in the north in Canada. 
as we know from many other stories. Uh, but uh, she had this great success of, of growing and teaching her classes into in the native peoples as well that she did make, I think it was three trips back to France to bring new teachers with her. And in fact, in 1698, the church approved uh, the congregation of the Notre Dame. And she had this wonderful community of growing sisters. And it was a beautiful thing. In fact, two Native American ladies joined the congregation in her lifetime as well. In uh, 1693, she passed the reins over to her successor, and she just decided that she would go into retirement praying and fasting, doing penance, and writing her autobiography. On the very last day of 1699, uh, there was a younger sister in her community that was on her deathbed. Mother Marguerite prayed and asked the Lord to exchange her life for the young girl. And in fact, the very next morning, 1st January, 1700, the young sister was completely well, completely healed. And Mother Marguerite had a raging fever, suffered 12 days and died January the 12th, 1700. Mother Marguerite Bergeau, pray for us. The gospel comes to you from Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. Jesus came to Capernaum with his followers on the Sabbath day and entered the synagogue and taught. The people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. In their synagogue was a man with an unclean spirit. He cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him and said, Quiet, come out of him. The unclean spirit convulsed him, and with a loud cry came out of him. All were amazed and asked one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. His fame spread everywhere throughout the whole region of Galilee. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ, in all things. Um, I love it that, uh, you know, there's a, there's a conversation that happens among Scripture scholars or even lay folk like myself who study Scripture all the time. Did the devil, did these devils know that Jesus was God? Well, if you read this passage, it would seem that it is so. In fact, um, and I love the fact that Jesus not only has complete and total command over them, and then they recognize that fear for him, not in faith, they recognize in fear of who he is. But Jesus does not allow them to give testimony about him. I think it's powerful. St. Chrysostom said, never put your trust in devils. And even Jesus forbids them. And I just want to point out one last thing. Look at the power of God's word. You know, let there be light. Light comes into existence, right? It's a powerful thing. And this is why, uh, you know, the, when the priest standing in persona Christe at the altar, speaking the words of consecration, the, the miracle happens. Transubstantiation happens through the powerful word proclaimed. And here Jesus' word is demonstrated to us because he is the second person of the Holy Trinity, that he commands and all creation listens, including the devils. What have you, Adrian? Yeah, so the there's a lot of things that are going on in this passage. In fact, uh, Alapide breaks down the whole uh, this whole commanding of the demons into five points, but I'm just going to focus on one point. The point that our Lord, he is able to speak and like you said, like his word is creation. He, whenever he speaks, uh, what he says happens. But the other thing is, 
that it's it was what's called in the scripture circles they call it the Markian secret because uh, the de- the demons were about to reveal to everyone the messianic secret, which is the fact that he was the Messiah. It was not the, the time to be revealed to everyone that he was the Messiah. And so our Lord silences them and casts them out. The other thing is that I remember being told when I was younger that these ideas of the whole idea of um, – that our Lord was exercising demons is a uh, is an ancient thing that no one needs to worry about. The thing uh, that it was actually that they were having seizures and they were having common medical problems, and our Lord was curing them physically. Mm. Uh, but we have to realize that there is a spiritual element to the world, and that our Lord was doing what what Scripture says He was doing. He was not healing people from epilepsy or seizures, because otherwise it would just say that that's what He was doing. Because it says in other yeah. places that that's what He was doing. It's like we're always looking for a, a sort of a. a a way to rationalize, or not rationalize, but to explain it away, kind of. Like, there's this trend in modern scripture scholar uh, where they just come up with all these uh, sort of earthly, rational uh, reasons and explanations for everything, and devoid uh, devoid the the passages of their supernatural quality. And I, I've always found that um, sad, almost. Absolutely, I, it's it is quite it's quite depressing because they try to try to imitate our Lord, try to make him that he's not supernatural, that everything can be explained away, can be understood in a natural way. Uh, this naturalistic, scientific, um, it's a scientism. It's kind of, it's a worshiping of the natural world rather than uh, recognizing that our Lord is above nature. He is supernature. Uh, that's why he's supernature. Super, yeah, so he's above. We should get T-shirts that say that yeah. supernature. <laughs> it sounds like a different word. Supernatural. Have you heard of that one? <laughs> Well, yeah, right. But I'm trying to emphasize the breaking of the two words in half. No, I understand. I understand. Over nature. Yeah. No, it's, it's a lack of supernatural faith. Go ahead, Joe. I was going to say, it just reminded me of Dr. Scott Hahn's book, Politicizing the Bible. Mm. Uh, you know, it's about uh, three and a half inches thick. You know, this it's a huge scholarly effort that he put together. I don't remember how many years ago he did that, maybe five or six or seven years ago or something like that, uh, where he d- basically dives into this very thing, you know, uh, why in modern scholarship we've done certain things and not others. And, and I know that this is one of those conversations that comes up at least every year when the homily about the feeding of the Mm 5,000 in the wilderness, you know, you know, we, we've all, I've heard, I've been in uh, masses where I've heard the priest uh, preach on the, oh, they shared, they had the food and they're hidden in their cloaks or whatever. And then they shared it among, but that's not what the text actually says. Uh, It doesn't say that they shared. It says that Jesus multiplied and he is God. And therefore Mm -hmm. he has complete command and control over all elements of the universe because he created them so uh, you know we be- he said it we believe it and uh, praise be to Jesus but uh, at any rate we're going to ready to go to a break here in just a minute and uh, we're going to be coming out on the other side of the break we'll have the what's concerning us section there are several stories in the news that I would love to dive into uh, you know uh, among among which sex traffickers being arrested in Tampa that's kind of a story we should pay attention to we reported on it Emily did but Plus, more Vatican scandals. We're going to talk with Edward Penton in our conversation from the National Catholic Register coming up in this hour. So don't go anywhere. A ton of Catholic drive time is headed your way. We're going to be right back, keeping you informed and inspired. Don't go anywhere. Are the biblical miracles too far-fetched to believe? Dead people rising, blind people seeing? How can a rational person believe such things? Well, it might seem irrational to believe relative to our general background knowledge, but relative to specific evidence, the obstacle of improbability can be overcome. 
For example, it's improbable for someone to rise from the dead. But if there were credible eyewitness testimonies, as in the case with Jesus, then belief would be rationally justified. Second, many skeptics often don't consider the improbability of the reported miracle being false. With regard to Jesus' resurrection, it's unreasonable to believe the apostles died for what they knew to be a lie, or that many different people had the same hallucination at the same time on different occasions. So miracles are not too far-fetched to believe if there is sufficient evidence to justify belief. I'm Carlo Broussard with a ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com. Years ago, when I started acting, modeling, and singing in Mexico, my Catholic faith was not the center of my life. It took me many years to discover that success, fame, money, and all the pleasures of the world were not going to fulfill me. I got to a point in my life where I thought I had everything, but I realized something was missing. Thankfully, I began a faith journey that brought me back to God and home to the Catholic Church. You can too. Discover more at CatholicsComeHome.com. Be to Jesus Christ. Good morning and welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McClain. It's so good to be on with you. It's the What's Concerning Us section, and I've got a list here of at least three uh, articles that are very concerning. Uh, As I said before we went to break, we're going to be speaking with Edward Penton from the National Catholic Register. He's got an article out called, Is Money Laundering the Reason for Unexplained Funds Transfer? From the Vatican to Australia. So we reported on this story, I think it was at least a week ago. So we'll be having that conversation in just a little while here on, on uh, Catholic Drive Time. So stick around for that. But this is a story that I want, I really want to dive deeper into this particular uh, topic. And that is sex trafficking. Because it is a plague on humanity that happens under our noses every day. And it doesn't get talked about nearly enough, at least in my uh, humble opinion. And I I would love for us to have some guests lined up on this particular topic uh, because I think it's so important. I mean, right now I'm sitting in a city that is one of the major hubs for sex trafficking in America. How many human beings are stuck in this modern-day slavery and we... uh, and may never get free, or if they do, they'll be, you know, broken emotionally, psychologically, physically for life. So this is a story I found in the Epic Times. I, Emily reported on it in her, uh, in her headlines. It says, 71 arrested in human trafficking sting in Florida ahead of Tampa Super Bowl. Dear audience, did you know that every time there's a major event in your, t- in your town, sporting event, uh, it could be football or baseball. It could be any major, huge event, the Olympics. But when that happens, as they're ramping up for this major event in your town, did you know that what also ramps up is the influx of the human sex slave trade in your town, setting up shop in your town, brothels and all the rest in your town? Did you know that? That's a thing. It follows every single major sporting event in America, probably the world. This article says, a month-long undercover human trafficking sting in Florida by Hillsborough County detectives has resulted in 71 arrests, the uh, county sheriff announced on January 11th. The operation known as Operation Interception was created to combat human trafficking ahead of the Super Bowl coming to Tampa in February. 
He says, quote, with less than a month until the big game, our covert operations continue seeking those who choose to sexually exploit others here in our community. Uh, the the uh, sheriff said, says our goal, as the operation name explains, is to intercept individuals involved in sexual exploitation before they are able to take advantage of vulnerable individuals and ultimately to deter others. The article goes on to say that all suspects were charged. They arrested 71 people. All suspects were charged with soliciting another to commit prostitution or entering, remaining in place for prostitution. In other words, to solicit either for the act or to get others to do it. Some received additional charges, including drug possession. Quote, all of these men have one thing in common. They did not care if the woman they were going to engage with were being exploited, forced to sell their bodies against their will, unquote. Boy, that, let that sink in. These are 71 men. I don't know their stories. I don't know what their backgrounds are. Some of the, there was at least one member uh, in this group of 71 that was active duty military. At least one of them. Uh, they're all, they're all shapes. They're all sizes. They're all walks. They're all colors. They're all creeds. I'm sure. This is a, this is a serious issue in our society that I think is not being addressed, at least in my opinion, to the degree that which it should be. Uh, and there's a lot more work we could do here, and I feel like we should uh, continue to shed light on these issues. Um, I don't know, Emily, Adrian, either one of you have a have a an opinion yeah, on this. This was uh, this was scary. The um, the fact that. 70, 71 people is a lot of people to arrest. This is a huge operation. And actually, the Epic Times did report a bit, a little bit on their backgrounds. And all, all 71 suspects were male between the ages of 20 to 62. And there was an active duty military member, a firefighter, a Christian school teacher, a banker, construction worker, business owners, and two registered sex offenders. So these people were like blending into their, their communities and the whole time we're participating in modern-day slavery. Yeah, that is insane. You know, um, from a Catholic perspective, we believe in the dignity of the human person from conception until natural death. And if when we begin to rationalize that a person across the table from us, for example, is somehow not human, then we can convince ourselves that we can do anything we want to that person, treat them any way. And that is, uh, that is a sin. It is a mortal sin. It is a terrible thing that we should not be doing. You know, and I, as I've said before here on this program and other places, I, I wrote a book on overcoming pornography addiction. I had a whole chapter on the brain science. What happens to the brain when a person is addicted to pornography? Their brain, it gets twisted, right? And they begin to rationalize. St. John Paul II in his book, Love and Responsibility, when he was Karol Wojtyla in Krakow, Poland, you know, he talked about this a lot. The brain begins to, because it's no longer functioning properly, it, it doesn't see human beings for human beings. It doesn't see them as human beings. It begins to rationalize and see people as commodities to be consumed. That is a very dangerous thing. And we're seeing the implications of that throughout society. And uh, apparently, according to this article, they're still on the hunt for even more. 71 is not the whole thing. It's just the tip of the iceberg. But it doesn't have to take a Super Bowl for us to, to crack down. This is happening in every major city in America and beyond right now. 
and it is tragic. Children are being abducted from our streets, uh, and they're ending up in these in these situations, and it is a horrifying. As a dad, I am horrified by that. So uh, that was one story on my radar. Emily, what, what do you got? Well, speaking of human trafficking, that's what the fake news story accused Pope Francis of over the weekend. Wow. And I remember I came back from this retreat, and all of a sudden I saw these headlines. People were texting me. They were like, people are saying that Pope Francis was arrested for human trafficking. I was like, no way. Um, So I looked into it, and of course it turned out to be super false. But the fact that this fake news story gained so much traction to the point where actual Catholics were believing it um, was really concerning to me. And even like people were reporting, Catholics were reporting that even the blackout had actually happened, which it hadn't. EWTN had reporters in the Vatican who reported that none of it was true. So crazy stuff. Crazy how fake news can just blow up. But haven't you noticed like that's that's on and like that has gone off the charts more recently. I mean, it's been a thing for ever, we could say. And in the last you know few handful of years, it's sort of steadily getting worse and worse. But now it seems like the fake news per- permeating everywhere is just off the charts to the point where you have to constantly check three and four sources just to see if some, like you just never know what you're seeing is true or not true. You just never, never know. And uh, we run with these stories. And I- I've been guilty of that many times, just thinking I trusted this source and I could run with it and then finding, oh, wow, that's that's just not the case. But, you know. Um, when it comes to the Vatican, you know, I, I've learned you really got to pause. You really got to wait. And, you mm-hmm. know, the story of a pope being kidnapped <laughs> in 2021, I mean, that should have that – that didn't pass the smell test from the first instance, though, right? Right. <laughs> I mean, the thing – you know, the, the reality is the Swiss Guard aren't just guys wearing – furry hats you know they don't have just feathered helmets oh, they're trained they're well trained actually yeah. they they and there are men in fact it's fascinating we've i've interviewed some swiss guardsmen in the past and you know they're kind of cryptic on the level of their training but i was assured that they have the same training as the secret service Ooh. and that in fact one of them andreas Wittmer, who wrote the pope and the ceo i got a great opportunity to hang out with him once and he was telling me that um when you retire when you leave the Swiss Guard, there's occasions where uh, I think these guys are invited back to continue to serve in other capacities. Like he he left, he got married. You can't be married as a Swiss Guard. You have to be single. Really? So when wow. he, when he he left, he got married. He couldn't like serve in that role again. But he was he's been back several times and has served in more uh, in a sort of a, a plain clothes role. So there's many there's many Swiss Guards that are in secret. They're like wearing plain lay like clothes, like like Secret Service type guys. They're armed. They're well trained. They know what they're doing. Do you think for one second that these guys? are going to let the Pope get kidnapped. I mean, really? Is that a thing? I don't know. I don't think it's a thing. We should have, we should have, we should have smelt that coming. Adrian? Yeah, no, I think that uh, what you were saying a second ago about the fact that they were um, about trusting news sources and things like that. The thing about this story was there was I don't think there was a single news source that was like, 
a well-respected news source that reported on it. So that that's one of the things that it is because it's understandable. Sometimes you may uh, people report too quickly and they make mistakes. That's understandable. We're humans. We make mistakes. Yeah. Uh, we go and correct it the next time we're we're able to. Uh, but sometimes you you should just check to see what's the source you're reading check. it from. Sometimes it's kind of whack and you're yeah. like and you can it doesn't pass its smell test like you're right. saying. And this so. appears to just be completely made up. So I have yeah. no idea whose imagination <laughs> it came know. from. But there's plenty of imaginations going around. That's for sure. <laughs> Now you know it is tough. I, I don't propose. I don't uh, you know. I don't pretend to have have the ability to to smell all fake news all the time everywhere. But I check probably six or seven sources uh, every morning. We come in. I'm looking at stories on six mm-hmm. or seven different sources just to see kind of what's out there and what people are saying and and whatnot. So you do your best you can. And then like like for instance today we're going to be speaking with Edward Penton. Now we reported. I think it was a week ago that because oh, it was it was an authority that came out of Australia that said over one billion dollars had been shipped to Australia and none of the local clergy uh, had shipped from the Vatican to Australia and none of the local Catholic clergy there had seen a red penny of it and nobody knows what where that money went and what it was for and so a big scandal there. And Edward Penton put out an article uh, whether or not, in fact, it was a billion. They think that that might be over-exaggerated. So we're going to have that conversation with him to follow up on that story probably in the next, I don't know, 10 minutes. You can can expect Edward Penton to be on with us by phone from Rome, I believe. Uh, So we'll have that conversation. But Bree Dale put out uh, an, an article on her blog Breeadale.com, a frequent uh, guest of our program. Vatican Secretary of State personally requested a 150 million euro loan. Says, quote, leaked letter on letterhead from Cardinal Pietro Perolin at center of newest development of Vatican financial scandal. Italian media outlet, uh, boy, don't ask me to say that. I'll post a link to it instead over facebook.com forward slash Catholic drive time that uh, was the letter was leaked on letterhead and signed by the Vatican Secretary of State. It shows irrefutable proof that he was the requesting authority for a 150 million euro loan supporting what he claims was a valid investment in a failed London property, one at the center of an ongoing financial corruption scandal out of the Vatican. In the letter on letterhead dated March 4th, 2019, reportedly marked confidential, urgent, Cardinal Pietro Perolin writes the following. Most illustrious sir, considering that over time some valid investments have been made, placed in foreign countries, but not easily to liquidate and with... Oh, I'm running out of time. I'll post a link to it instead. You can read it for yourself over at uh, facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time and forward slash GRN Online. But uh, the bottom line here is he's the one at the center of the failed London property that took donor dollars out of Peter's Pence and spent it on this instead of doing corporate works of mercy. It's a scandal. Edward Penton will be on with us after breaking news. More Catholic Drive Time is coming up next. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. How many times have you heard it said that the church has been weak and ineffective? Well, G.K. Chesterton says the church has been so powerful and effective that it colored even the things it had not hoped to influence and changed its enemies as well as its friends. It affects everything it touches. It inspires a life-changing love from its friends and a self-destructive hatred from its enemies. Its enemies will do everything to destroy it, and they end up destroying everything except the church. 
The Catholic Church, says Chesterton, has endured for 2,000 years. And the world within the Church has been more lucid, more level-headed, more reasonable in its hopes, more healthy in its instincts, more humorous and cheerful in the face of fate and death than all the world outside. Want more than a minute? Chesterton.org Your Odyssey begins at the University of Dallas, the premier Catholic liberal arts university in Texas. With campuses in Irving and Italy, UD's rigorous core curriculum sets it apart. An education rooted in the great works of Catholic and Western tradition. An education that ennobles and enables students in their pursuit of wisdom, truth, and virtue. Undergraduate, graduate, and certificate programs available. Start your college odyssey at the University of Dallas today. Go to udallas.edu to learn more. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McLean. It's so good to be on with you this morning. Got breaking news and stories here in one moment with Emily Alcaraz. By the way, make sure you uh, check us out on YouTube if you can. We're posting individual conversations, videos of individual conversations uh, on the Catholic Drive Time side of YouTube. Just go to YouTube, search for Catholic Drive Time, and I think you'll be able to find that there. Um, but another great place to get the audio podcast, just go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT. By the way, we're, we're looking at alternative platforms in order to uh, ensure that our videos don't get taken down or censored in any way. So we're looking at Rumble right now. And if you go to Rumble and search for Catholic Drive Time, you'll start to find videos are going to be posted there as well. So do us a favor and make sure you stay plugged in especially to that local Catholic radio postulate you're listening to us on right now, whether it's Stations of the Cross, Guadalupe Radio Network, or what have you. Make sure you're stayed, you're connected to them, either on their email list, you know, on their social platforms, you have their mobile app downloaded. Just make sure you're, you're staying plugged in. In the day and age of censorship, it's super important. Well, let's get into the headlines with Emily Alcarez. Parler has sued Amazon and is asking the court to reinstate their platform. The social media company sued Amazon on Monday, alleging that the Seattle-based firm's hosting service violated antitrust laws and their contractual agreement. The company, which was taken offline by Amazon services early Monday morning, asked a federal judge in Washington state to reject Amazon's shutdown of its services. Parler argued that Amazon's move was motivated by political animus and designed to reduce competition to benefit Twitter. Twitter is a customer of Amazon Web Services division. The Amazon Trust and Safety Team suspended Parler, and the company said they are seeking an alternative web hosting service. The FBI is warning that armed protests are being planned at state capitals across the country in advance of Inauguration Day. According to an internal FBI bulletin obtained by ABC News, armed protests are being planned at all 50 state capitals. ABC journalist Aaron Katursky also said that the FBI received information about an identified armed group intending to travel to Washington, D.C. on January 16th. They have warned that if Congress attempts to remove Trump via the 25th Amendment, a huge uprising will occur. Federal law enforcement agencies have reportedly advised state police departments to be on high alert and bolster their security forces at government buildings to guard against potential attacks. AT&T and Verizon have stopped allowing donations to go to lawmakers who called for election integrity. 
American Express, Blue Cross Blue Shield, Commerce Bank, Dow, and Marriott were among other corporations to announce the suspension of donations to Republican congressional members who objected to the electoral vote certification. In a statement on Monday, AT&T said it would suspend contributions to members of Congress who voted to object to the certification of electoral college votes last week, such as Senators Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley. The culture of life continues to gain traction in America. A report shows that 45 abortion facilities were closed last year. Operation Rescue has also reported that Missouri has now become the first abortion-free state. There are currently 706 active abortion facilities in the U.S. Since Operation Rescue began tracking the number of abortion facilities in 2009, surgical abortion facilities have decreased in number by 255. Since 1991, there has been an incredible 79% drop in the number of surgical abortion facilities nationwide. I'm Emily Alcaraz, and these are your Tuesday morning headlines through a Catholic lens. Praise be to Jesus Christ in all things. Uh, We're trying to get Edward Penton on the line right now. We're hoping to have a conversation with him about uh, this Vatican scandal that we're following up on that came out of... uh, the, the, art, the headlines for Australia a couple, it was a week ago, maybe a week and a half ago or so. And uh, so Edward Penton put out this great article and, and we want to have a conversation with him about the continued scandal out of the Vatican. I think this is important to us because you know, people give their hard-earned money as donations to Peter's Pence and, and to fund the work and the mission of the church. It's a precept of the church and we're seeing it being used in very scandalous ways and and not alone not only that but also the Vatican itself as an institution the bank at the Vatican being used in scandalous ways it seems like um, we need we want we desire we were hoping for his holiness pope francis to reform these things why is it taken uh, as long as it has what are the challenges is there a future where it will uh, sort of get fixed? I don't know. We're, we're hoping to have that conversation with Edward Penton, and we're trying to get him on the line. Let me just uh, start by looking at this article that he put out on the National Catholic Register. Is money laundering the reason for unexplained funds transfer from the Vatican to Australia? Senior Vatican official tells the Register they are continuing to investigate reports that $1.8 billion was wired between 2014 and 2020. But what happened? And why remains very unclear. The Vatican investigators have claimed that the report showing 1.8 billion was wired from the Vatican to Australia uh, is significantly overestimated. So they're they're disputing the number. It says, but many questions remain about the transfers, which some experts say point to money laundering and organized crime involvement. The Australian newspaper, which first broke the story of the transactions, reported January 6th that the country's financial crime regulator, the Australian Transaction Reports and Analysis Centre, has been working closely with the Holy See's Financial Intelligence Unit and found anomalies in the figures which are expected to be revised soon. The Vatican confirmed to the Register January 7th that contacts between its financial information and supervision authority are ongoing with a view to examining the data provided by the latter in recent days. says details of the alleged $1.8 billion made in 47,000 separate transfers. Let that set in. 47,000 transfers emerged just before Christmas when the, the Australian Authority presented the figures in response to a request from Australian Senator uh, in Wells. 
The senator said on receiving the figures last month, it was important to know where the money went and noted that the transfers accelerated when the former Vatican treasurer, Cardinal George Pell, was facing investigations in Australia and peaked when he was uh, sidelined from financial control of the Vatican while facing charges in trial in Australia. So we're posting a link to this uh, article from Edward Penton. We're going to post that in our uh, live video feed at facebook.com forward slash GRN online. But I believe we have Edward on the line. Edward, good morning to you. Uh, thank you for being a part of our program. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Um, maybe you can start. I just read a, a good chunk of your article that you put out most recently on the National Catholic Register about the Vatican scandal. But maybe you can give us the background. Sure. Yes. Well, this this relates to um, some some uh, details of funds which were transferred from uh, uh, the Vatican to Australia, which came up in in uh, in response to a question asked in the Australian Senate about uh, these these allegations of, of money coming from the Vatican to Australia uh, during the time that Cardinal Pell was being um, arraigned and and tried in Australia, um, for which he was fully acquitted. And the, the suspicions were that this money was being used um, really to to uh, really frame uh, Cardinal Pell and, and get him uh, found guilty over in Australia, so that it would take him out of the out of scrutinising Vatican finances over here. Cardinal Pell was the the, the treasurer of the Vatican. Um, now, what came up in these these this answer is that uh, one point um, much money much more money than was expected came up in the in the details and as much as 1.8 billion dollars um now we don't know of course whether that money was um what the purpose was for that money we don't know really anything about it yet but uh but as you said earlier the, the this is being investigated by the vatican and by the australian authorities to find out exactly what this money was now it, they, the vatican has since said that the the, the figures were probably incorrect and that uh, it was much less than that and if if so, if it's significantly less, then it was perhaps just standard um, money flows from the Vatican to Australia regarding um, help, helping finance the nunciature, for example, and charities over there. Um, and that may be the reason. But at the moment, we, we really don't know. Um, and there's lots of suspicions that there was um, perhaps money laundering going on or some sort of dirty money being sent through the Vatican to Australia. Um, but as I say, we don't know what that is, and we won't know probably for a few weeks yet. In the article, uh, there was uh, it seems like the Vatican officials uh, disputed the, the number, 1.8 billion. Did they suggest a number they thought was more likely? They haven't yet. No, they say, as you say, significantly less, but uh, that could be anything, of course. Um, and, you know, we've, we, we don't know yet, you know, I mean, if if the, the actual figures are being perhaps um, uh, some people are saying, well, they're not so much because perhaps they've got something to hide. We don't know that yet. But, you know, we, we've just got to wait and see really what the actual figures are. But uh, but um, certainly the, it, it's a big number. So at the moment that we have uh, rep seen reported. And so um, that's obviously alarming quite a few people. 47,000 transfers. That's a lot. Um, Edward Penton, I, Emily here. How is it that 47 separate transfers happened and nobody took notice of this? No one in the Vatican or in among the Australian bishops. Who is in charge of this? Well, this is the big question because um, the problem with the Vatican is that uh, there's a lot that sort of lots of left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing, especially when it comes to finances, because 
there's not a centralized um, financial authority, which is what uh, Edward, Edward wanted. Edward, I'm going to ask um, you to hold that thought. Forgive me, Edward, but yeah. I need to you to hold that thought. We're going to go to a break. We have a short break, and we're going to come back. We'll continue sure. our conversation. We're speaking with Edward Penton from the National Catholic Register about the ongoing scandal out of the Vatican on the finances and trying to get to the bottom and understanding of, of the story. And Edward Penton from the National Catholic Register is going to help us to do that on the other side of this break. Don't go anywhere. I promise to love you in good times and in bad, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. On your wedding day, you made this vow to your spouse in the presence of God and all those present. These are not words to be taken lightly. And the reality is that the responsibilities of marriage and family can be challenging at times. Good times can become bad in the blink of an eye. Things like financial hardship and sickness, among others, very often bring about fears and anxieties that make it difficult to be a as loving as we should be. There is a simple Latin phrase to keep on hand when fear and anxiety take over our thoughts. Quid est hoc ad aeternitatum? What is this in the light of eternity? In other words, keep things in proper perspective. While the challenges here on this earth seem like a big deal at the moment, they are but a flash in the pan compared to all of eternity in heaven. This has been a minute for your marriage and family from the Three Hearts Institute. Check us out on Facebook. The universe is filled with order from top to bottom. And it's a beautiful order, and not only is it beautiful, it's an order that we can actually comprehend. And it's almost as if we have been made to be able to comprehend that order in the universe, to be able to contemplate it so that we can see maybe that purpose behind it. Please visit Father Spitzer's website, magiscenter.com, to watch this beautiful and important video about purpose and God's creation. That's magiscenter.com. Peace to Jesus Christ and all things. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McLean. We're speaking with Edward Penton from the National Catholic Register about his article, which we've linked to at facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Just look for the live video feed. Uh, Edward, thank you for being on our program today. I had to interrupt you before we went to break. Uh, you, if you wanted to finish your story, Emily brought up the 47,000 transfers. That's quite a lot of transfers. Uh, maybe you can finish your thought there. Sure thing. Yes. Well, I was just saying that, uh, that there's, there's a lack of centralized authority in the Vatican regarding finances. So there's a lot of things that go undetected. And I think this is po- possibly one of those things. Um, now, the good thing about the, all of this is that it's showing um, really what needs to be done with the Vatican finances and how they need to be cleaned up. And one of them is, is centralizing the authority, which Pope Francis is doing. Um, the problem is that uh, Cardinal Pell ad- advocated uh, centralizing the Vatican finances back in 2014, 2015, when he became treasurer. But it's um, unfortunately the Pope uh, uh, listened more to others who were more in- interested in keeping autonomy with different Vatican departments. And so this hasn't actually happened until now. But if it had, if it had happened earlier, then we might not have got these these kind of uh, these kind of anomalies. So so that's that's a, that's at least something that's good that's coming out of this. And. Uh, and another problem with the Vatican is that there's no, never been a sort of general audit. There's never been an internal or ex- external audit of the Vatican. So no one really knows how much money is sort of moving around um, in the Holy See. So, so again, that's another thing that needs to be looked at, and perhaps that's another good thing to come from this. One of the, the stories 
over the past few years. I mean, Vigano was in charge of the uh, bank reform, and then he got shipped to a United States Pell. And then, of course, we all know what happened to Cardinal Pell. Um, there was a desire to have the bank audited, and that got squashed after Pell ended up in prison. Wasn't that the case? Yes. In fact, um, Cardinal Pell uh, authorized uh, an ex- the, the first ever external audit by PricewaterhouseCoopers to come into the Vatican and have a good uh, examination of all of the books. Um, and then when they got to the Secretariat of State, uh, they started analyzing those. Then Cardinal Angela Betchu, who was um, a deputy in the Secretariat of State, canceled the audit uh, just after four months of it beginning. <clears throat> and so uh, so even though uh, there was attempts back in 2016 to have this audit, um, it wasn't successful because of these various groups in the Vatican who want to keep the autonomy because there's, there's there's corruption there, and they, they, there's there's things that they don't want found out, and so so unfortunately that audit uh, was abandoned. But um, but maybe in the future it'll it'll happen. Well, I'm going to ask a speculative question. <laughs> Feel free to answer or not, I guess. But what would stop His Holiness Pope Francis from demanding an audit? I mean, he's the Pope. Can he do that? Well, it's a good question. Yes, I mean he could, and he and that's uh, the Pope really can do anything, and. Uh, if he if he really instructed that, then uh, then that would probably go ahead. But um, and that's one of the questions why why it hasn't been done. But um, Cardinal Betchu, who was the one, as I said, who stopped it, he's now been moved aside. He's now in the Congregation for the Causes of Saints, so he doesn't really have much authority anymore over this. And so perhaps now it could happen. Uh, certainly, the new heads in the Vatican finances seem to be seem to know what they're doing and seem to be very committed to financial reform. And so. So perhaps it's just a matter of time before before they do have a proper audit. Let's go back to the number. Uh, the Australian authority said one point, and there was an Australian newspaper who reported one point eight billion. And the uh, Vatican authorities, in your in your according to your article, said they contest that it's substantially less. Whatever the number is, can you tell us where did this money come from? Is this donations from the faithful all over the world? Are these investments that nefarious characters uh, have been put into the Vatican Bank? Where where's the origin of this money? Mm. Well, this is the question, because, I mean, if it's much less, then it could well just be standard funds being channeled to, to Australia from the Vatican, which wouldn't be suspicious. But if it is anything like $1.8 billion, then that would obviously point to, to money laundering and, and drug money, but that, and that, something like that. And that's quite possible. But that money, of course, wouldn't be coming from the Vatican. That would be from dubious sources, perhaps, perhaps the organized crime groups. Um, using the Vatican as a kind of uh, offshore, offshore playground, rather, if you like, um, to sort of ship money around the world without trace. And certainly, that has been the Vatican has been used for that in the past. Um, there have been uh, only recently uh, revelations of what are called ciphered accounts in in APSA, which is a, a department of the Vatican which deals with real estate and assets. Um, and these ciphered accounts were held in Switzerland and and various. Um, uh, uh, lay faithful were, or not necessarily faithful, but lay lay people um, were using those uh, ciphered accounts to to basically to escape authorities and and tax evasion and so forth. Um, and these accounts uh, had the Vatican's um, label on them, but of course they had no name of who they belonged to, and so so they could use those uh, those accounts without without any trace. And certainly those existed up until. Uh, only recently, uh, I asked the head of APSA last week, um, 
Archbishop Galantino, if he, if if these these accounts existed, if they could have been related to these transfers to Australia, and he said they have no record of these ciphered accounts anymore, but uh, certainly they existed in the past. So so it's quite possible that they they could have been using those. So we saw just a couple weeks ago that the Holy Father issued a motu proprio. Um, taking the management of finances away from the Secretariat of State. Do you see this as a positive move? Yes, I think it is, uh, Emily, definitely, because a lot of the corruption, um, aside from this Australia uh, case, has happened in the Secretariat of State with these Swiss bank accounts that they had, which were off the balance sheets, off the, off the books. And there was this big, obviously, um, many many listeners may know about this, but this this uh, very big losses that the Vatican incurred through a, through a London property deal that they made uh, back in the 2010s, which which uh, caused a lot of a lot of losses for the Vatican, um, and that was done through the Secretary of State and those accounts, and so by transferring them to APSO, which which seems to be much better than it used to be. Um, in terms of of uh, transparency, that may that may well avoid that, that happening in the in the future. So, so I, that's certainly um, a positive move, definitely, and it's a it's a way to improve supervision and control and transparency, which is clearly much needed in the Vatican these days. We're talking with Edward Penton. He is with the National Catholic Register. Uh, we've linked to his article on this subject over at facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Just look for the live video link there. You'll see it. Um, but Edward, uh, we have about, uh, I don't know, six minutes left in our conversation with you, maybe five minutes left in our conversation with you. Speaking of Cardinal Pietrelin, you know, I think in this story, you know, he... If I, Edward, if I went home today and stopped and spent 20 bucks, by the time I got home, my wife would want an accounting. What did I do with that money? Uh, so whether, however much money was spent here, it seems like it's not enough to just take away his access, but like, shouldn't he be held accountable as Secretary of State? And then, of course, uh, there's apparently uh, the Editoriale Domini, this Italian media outlet is reporting a, a supposed alleged linked letter with his name and signature say, stating that he is behind the $150 million euro loan that was related to the London property. Is there a credibility there? Should there be some accountability with Pietrolina in particular, Edward Penton? Well, uh, yes, up to a point. Uh, certainly there needs to be accountability and transparency, um, a much increased uh, amount of that. But and regarding Cardinal Paralin, um, I think it's a bit unfair to say that he was responsible for that um, for that deal, as, as that, that report said, because um, he he basically came along afterwards after the deal was made was made by Cardinal Bertou mm. and actually Cardinal Bertoni who was um, Cardinal Parolin's predecessor. I have a piece on this coming out soon, so um, that'll clarify some of this. But uh, but certainly um, uh, Cardinal Parolin has he that story really showed that he was trying to to stem the losses that had been incurred by his predecessors. Um, and although he seemed to think they were valid investments, um, he did at least try to to stem the losses for the Vatican, um, and uh, and failed. But uh, but yes, uh, certainly there needs to be sort of more accountability, um, and really people brought to trial and and those who are guilty of of causing these these great losses for for the Vatican need to need to be held accountable, and that's. That's something which may happen in the future, but at the moment it seems <clears throat> it seems unlikely. Partly because um, the Vatican tribunals don't seem to be suited to dealing with with sort of financial crime and and 
and prosecuting financial crime. That seems to be a problem. Um, and that's another aspect that needs to be looked at. Certainly, they're being pressured to do so by by the Moneyval, which is part of the Council of Europe, which is trying to help the Vatican root out um, vulnerabilities to, to money laundering and so forth. Um, but uh, there's still a, quite a long way to go, it seems, really, to bring about that sort of transparency and accountability that many people would like to see uh, regarding the Vatican finances. So what's the future look like? Do we, is, is there a day going to happen in the future where we can expect that the Vatican Bank gets cleaned up and we have transparency and donor dollars from all over the world aren't used and things like you know movies and properties and things like that but are used for the mm. corporate works of, of charity? Mercy? Well, they do seem to be committed to this. As I said, the head of the Vatican Bank, the head of the... Um, sorry, the head of the uh, Secretary for the Economy, which is Cardinal Pell's uh, successor, they all seem to be very committed to, to increasing transparency, making sure that uh, there's proper stewardship of of the money in the Vatican. Um, and and so that seems to be uh, something that they're, they're committed to. So mm. certainly we, we can hope for that. But whether um, we actually see that happen, we'll, we'll have to see. But uh, but yes, it's uh, there's still a long way to go. And uh, I think... Um, and the problem is a lot of the, these um, these financial uh, financial matters are dealt with by priests who who aren't trained in this sort of area. You know, they may be bishops, they may be cardinals, but they're not trained in in finances and how to make good investments. And what some people say is really needed is is more laity to come on board, lay lay expertise, the people who really know how to deal with these kind of issues. Amen. Praise be to God in all things. Uh, Edward Penton from the National Catholic Register, we're grateful for your time this morning, and uh, thank you for being a part of our program and giving us some insight into this difficult topic. My pleasure. Good to be with you. God bless you. Have a great day. And uh, Emily, thanks for reading us the news. We have more breaking news and stories coming up the next hour. Uh, Adrian Fonseca producing for us. I want to thank everybody for being a part of this hour at Catholic Drive Time. If you're able to join us in the next hour, breaking news, Saint of the Day, Gospel, our game show, plus prizes. And we'll have a conversation with Dr. Holly Ordway about... J.R.R. Tolkien, his conversion from atheism, and his uh, his work in uh, sharing the Christian faith through his fictional writings. But all that is coming up the next hour. If you're able to join us, we would love to have you. Until then, may God bless you, may God love you, and we'll see you next time on Catholic Drive Time. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. Why do Catholics call Mary the Queen of Heaven? Doesn't God rebuke the Israelites in the Old Testament for worshipping a false goddess called the Queen of Heaven? Should we not refer to Mary with that title, therefore, since it's a title of a false god? In Jeremiah 7, verse 18, God is indeed upset with the Israelites for worshipping a false goddess called the Queen of Heaven. However, just because God rebuked them for worshipping the false Queen of Heaven doesn't mean that we cannot pay honor to the true Queen of Heaven, the Blessed Mother. That type of thinking would lead you to believe that just because people worship a false god that they call God, we therefore should not call the true God by that same name, God, because that's the same name the idolaters use for their God. 
That is faulty logic and it makes no sense whatsoever. Again, the fact that there is a false queen of heaven does not lead to the conclusion that we worship a false goddess when we call Mary the queen of heaven. Just as the fact that there is a false god does not lead to the conclusion that we worship a false god when we call our Father in heaven God. And there is a true queen of heaven. We see this quite clearly in Revelation 12 verse 1. And a great portent appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. Let's see. There's a woman. She's in heaven. And she has a crown on her head. I could be wrong, but I don't think that's the cleaning lady. No, it's the true queen of heaven, Mary, the mother of the male child who is to rule the nations. We do not worship Mary. We honor her just as Jesus honors her. So there is absolutely nothing wrong from a scriptural point of view in calling Mary the Queen of Heaven and in honoring her just as Jesus honors her. After all, if Jesus is the King, then Mary is truly the Queen Mother of Heaven. A beacon of truth in a troubled world. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. I heard that the GRN is raffling off a 2021 Mercedes-Benz GLA 250. Miyagi loves support Catholic Radio on GRN. Where can you get tickets? Thing called Internet. <laughs> Go to grnonline.com. One ticket, $25. Five ticket, $100. Drawing in the March 1st. Name drawn March 4th. What are you going to do if you win? Give to you. Practice. Wax on, wax off. Welcome to your Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. We love God, we ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information from the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious, it's fun, it's your Catholic Drive Time. With Joe McLean and Emily Alcaraz. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McLean. Welcome to Hour 2 of Catholic Drive Time. It's good to be on with you this morning. Praise God. Hopefully your morning is going great. Hopefully you have a, a wonderful day ahead of you. I'm excited because uh, later today our priest is coming over to give us the epiphany blessing of our house. Normally something that would be my task as, as husband and father of the home is to take the blessed chalk and write it above the doors. But you know what? It's even better when your priest comes over to do it. Praise God. So we're excited about that. But pray for, I mean, I'm sure priests at this time of year are running like crazy. House to house to house. You know, talk about St. Nick. No, think about your your pastor who's who's going to all of these houses to bless these homes. Part of his his apostolate, his ministry, his work is to is to bring that to your house. So what a grace and what a blessing. So I'm excited about that. Uh, Emily, anything you're excited about? Good morning to you, by the way. Anything I'm excited about? Um, well, I had to do my own epiphany blessing. You had to do your own. <laughs> I'm the head of my household. We're well, just a bunch go. of ladies <laughs> that are living in an apartment. So, <laughs> Well, praise God it got done. I mean, God is good. Yes. Uh, Adrian Fonseca's on the ones and twos this morning. Good, t- good morning to you, Adrian. Good morning. You know, things always running smoothly and uh, great as always. <laughs> well, you know, it wouldn't be fun if there wasn't technical challenges in the show. And, uh, and the good news is you've handled, you've, you've dealt with the problems as they came your way. So praise God we're still rolling. Uh, by the way, dear listeners. Listener, we have a great hour lined up for you this hour. We're going to have uh, breaking news and stories, of course, the uh, saint of the day, gospel of the day. We'll have our Catholic trivia game show. And this week, our our sponsor is Tan. That's right. Tan Books is giving away a set of 20 children's books. Once 20. 
You said it was a $200 value. That's right. $226 full price, although it's also on sale on their website right now. Well, that's, well you can either go buy it or maybe become a contestant and win it for free. That's kind of right. a good deal. So mm-hmm. that's coming up in just about uh, 12 minutes from now. A plus, uh, we'll be speaking with uh, the Tolkien uh, scholar. Uh, Dr. Holly Ordway, she is going to be on with us. We'll have a great conversation about Tolkien's conversion. I don't know about you. I didn't even know Tolkien existed until 20 years ago, maybe, uh, after my own conversion. And then Lord of the Rings came out in movie form. And I'm like, who is this? I never heard of this. I didn't grow up with that. I didn't grow up with C.S. Lewis or, or, or Chesterton or any of that. Um, but my kids have. And they are absolute huge fans of J.R.R. Tolkien. And Dr. Holly Ordway is going to give us all the latest and greatest information, especially about his faith and how he used his faith uh, to communicate that. Maybe subtly could be the answer. We'll find out in uh, Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit and whatnot. So that conversation is coming up this hour. But let's begin with prayer. I'm going to include your intentions, dear listener, in this prayer, asking Our Lady to intercede for you and for your needs, whatever they may be. I'm praying for my family. I'm praying for our our team, for our equipment, and our mission, our apostolate here at the Guadalupe Radio Network. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And now the headlines with Emily Alcaraz. 71 people have been arrested in a human trafficking sting in Florida. The Hillsborough County Sheriff, Chad Cronister, told reporters Operation Interception was created to combat human trafficking leading up to the Super Bowl coming to Tampa in February of 2021. All 71 suspects are male and were charged with soliciting another to commit prostitution. Sheriff Cronister said, quote, With less than a month away from the big game, our covert operations continue and will continue seeking those who choose to sexually exploit others in our community. The Super Bowl should not be a venue where these types of crimes occur on the sidelines, whether it's before the game, during the game, or after the game. Pope Francis has appointed the first lay head of the Roman Curia's Disciplinary Commission. On January 8th, the Pope named Vincenzo Buonamo rector of the Pontifical Lateran University in Rome as the new president. The commission, founded in 1981, is the main disciplinary body within the Curia, the administrative apparatus of the Holy See. It is responsible for determining sanctions against curial employees accused of misconduct, ranging from suspension to dismissal. Buonamo also made history in 2018 when he became the first lay professor to be named rector of the Pontifical Lateran University. The Catholic bishops of New Jersey are asking Catholics to fast and pray on the anniversary of the legalization of abortion in America. The day of prayer and fasting will take place on January 22nd, which marks the 48th anniversary of the Supreme Court's Roe v. Wade decision that mandated legal abortion nationwide. The Day of Prayer will take place a week ahead of the National March for Life in Washington, D.C. In October, New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy announced legislation that would make pro-abortion mandates part of state law. A letter signed by the New Jersey bishops said, quote, As we mark this tragic event in our nation's history, we remember the millions of lives lost to abortion and pray for the mothers and fathers left to suffer the tragic effects. 
A fake news story about Pope Francis gained traction on the internet this weekend. A conspiracy theory website claimed that Pope Francis had been arrested and that there was a blackout in the Vatican. Neither of these claims turned out to be true. When asked about the report on January 11th, the Holy See Press Office responded by pointing to Pope Francis' busy schedule of meetings on Monday morning, implying that it was business as usual at the Vatican. I'm Emily Alcaraz, and these are your Tuesday morning headlines through a Catholic lens. St. Marguerite Bourgeot, pray for us, born April 17, 1620 in France. She was the sixth of 12 children from a devout uh, parents. But when she was 19, her mother died. And she was the one that was tasked with taking care of her brothers and sisters, which she did. And at 27 years old, her father passed. And she had to raise all the kids by herself at that point. And when that got accomplished, she turned her eyes, her heart, her mind, her soul towards God and to his will for her life, her vocation. It just so happened that at that time, the governor of Montreal in Canada was in France and looking to recruit young teachers to come to the New World. And he invited Marguerite. And she said yes. In fact, she agreed to come and teach religion there. And she gave the rest of her inheritance to her siblings. And she sailed for Canada in 1653. She built a chapel in honor of Our Lady of Good Help there and began the work. In 1658, in 59, and in 70, she made three trips back to France to recruit new women to come to the New World because the work was expanding and being very successful. In fact, in 1698, the Vatican approved the congregation of Notre Dame and her community was begun. And they were so successful that even among the native peoples that she had postulants and women come into her congregation from uh, the native community in America. But in 1693, she turned her sights towards retirement by that point, and she passed the reins over, and she wanted to pray, do penance, you know, to spend a quiet life. On the very last day of 1699... There was a young sister in her community that was on her deathbed. And Mother Marguerite asked the Lord if he would exchange their lives. If, in fact, he would take her instead of this young sister. The very next morning, January the 1st, 1700, the young sister was completely healed and well. Mother Marguerite had a raging fever, a fever and suffered 12 days and died January the 12th, 1700. St. Marguerite Bourgeot, pray for us. The gospel comes from Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. Jesus came to Capernaum with his followers, and on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and taught. The people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. In their synagogue was a man with an unclean spirit. He cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him and said, Quiet, come out of him. The unclean spirit convulsed him, and with a loud cry came out of him. All were amazed and asked one another, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. His fame spread everywhere throughout the whole region of Galilee. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Did the devils know 
that Jesus was God. You know, I think back over the years of the films that I've watched that depict the life of Christ and the ones that seem to cast doubt on whether or not Jesus himself knew that he was God. <laughs> I mean, I can see the actor's face in my mind, you know, of, that, of a particular film that uh, took this, you know, who knows what kind of approach. But yet we read the passage, we read the Gospels, we read this particular passage in the Gospels, and we see even the devils <laughs> knew who Jesus was. St. Chrysostom said, you never put your trust in the devils. And Jesus, although he has complete command and control over these devils, he, he forbids them, forbids them to give testimony to him. Think about that. I think it's a lesson for us. I mean, how many of us, uh, we know people, right, in our lives who, who toy they play with the occult in their life. Could be astrology, palm reading, crystals, or, or what have you. You know, there's so many issues in our, in our communities and our societies where these lines can get very blurred. I, you know, I'm thinking of Blessed Bortolo Longo's story even on how much he put his trust in a devil that tried to get him to uh, fall into despair and commit suicide. It nearly succeeded before he was uh, converted by a, uh, a stalwart Dominican priest bringing him through to confession and praying the Holy Rosary and Our Lady's own intercession for him on the, how he would spend the rest of his life to uh, perpetuate the Holy Rosary in the Valley of Pompeii. Uh, it's a powerful story. But I think it's one that we should pay attention to because Jesus tells us, the God, the God man, the man who is the second person of the Trinity, you must uh, never put your trust in these devils. In fact, look at the word, the power of Jesus' own word. It should remind you of Genesis chapter 1, God's word, let there be light, and light came into existence. Uh, Jesus commands these, these demons to, to go out. Exorcists today. Uh, they have this authority, this power, this charism, but they do so through a sort of a, a rite. There's a, an exorcist rite they must perform. They go through it. And in some cases, it can take a year or more to actually exorcise these demons from certain individuals. It all depends. Whereas Jesus speaks and they go running. Just like Our Lady, by the way, our thinking of Our Lady of Lords, just casting her gaze upon devils caused them to flee. It's powerful. And it also reminds me, one last point, reminds me of the priest standing at the altar, standing in the person of Christ, in persona Christi, who, who speaks the words of consecration and the miracle happens, transubstantiation, the bread and the wine are no longer bread and wine. They are, in fact, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. The power of the word is powerful. Adrian, what say you? Absolutely. I think it's uh, pretty awesome how our Lord has the uh, the power to drive out demons just by the very word, the same word that was spoken and everything was made. Uh, it's such an amazing thing. Now, I just wanted to talk about how the this, whenever this came up back when I was uh, younger, I remember having a teacher that told me that this, uh, this miracle that our Lord performed was actually not a miracle of uh, exorcism, but instead it was a miracle of healing. Like they were healing someone. They were, she, the person was having uh, convulsions because they were epileptic or they had seizures, that kind of thing. And, uh, our Lord was actually just simply, uh, healing them of their epilepsy. Now, this is a error because it's a denial of the demonic. It's a denial of Satan because, um, we, they, uh, we're modern man. We don't believe in that Satan stuff anymore. The devil's not real. Mm. Um, and so that's, that's an error that we have in our 
our Lord makes it very clear. Our Lord is God, so he doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't get confused. He's like, oh, I, I, thought, it was a, I thought it was a demon. Really, he was just yeah. sick, and I healed him. Uh, but So our Lord doesn't make mistakes. So whenever he says it's a demon, it was a demon. When he says he heals someone of an illness, he healed someone from an illness. Yeah. Uh, I think as we should take our Lord at his word. Amen to that. Uh, praise be to God in all things. Uh, we have a, a game show coming up. Our prize sponsor is going to be Tan Publishing, right, Emily? That's right. Tan Books is giving away their Mary Fabian Windet Lives of the Saints set. Easy for you to say. One more time on that. <laughs> Mary Fabian Windet Lives of the Saints 20 book set. <laughs> wow. Marion Fabian Windet. No, Mary Fabian. <laughs> what, did, what did I say? Marion. <laughs> Mar- Mary? You were close. What is it? One more time. <laughs> Mary Fabian Windet Lives of the Saints 20 book set. I'm an old person. You shouldn't speak that fast. <laughs> Mary Fabian Windet. Yes. Lives mm-hmm. of the Saints 20 books, children's books, $200 value, and someone's going to get to win this for free this week. That's right. It's mm-hmm. kind of a big deal. So uh, all you got to do is be a our contestant, our caller, and uh, it's very easy to do. So uh, now if you've been listening to Catholic Drive Time for some time now, you know the rules. But if you're brand new here, we're th- well, first of all, thank you for being a part of the Catholic Drive Time family. We're very grateful you're here. We'll hope you'll come back again. But we have this fun game show. It's a sneaky little way to teach a little bit about the faith. Maybe you'll learn something that you didn't know before. Uh, but I don't ask the questions to, to the callers. I ask them to Adrian and Emily. Callers get a pass. They just get to make a 50-50 shot between Emily and Adrian. Every right answer goes into the coffee cup of Divine Providence to win this week's prize, which is the Mary Fabian Wendet uh, book collection well of books. Well done, Joe. You did it. <laughs> uh, it only took me 34 tries. But uh, outside of that, so the number to call, if you want to be our contestant, lines are open. First caller gets the opportunity, 877 877- 757-9424 is the number to call. 877-757-9424. You'll call, you'll get put on hold, we'll try to get your name, and then uh, that's how it works. It's super simple, super easy, and you may win some very cool prizes. So uh, that's that's where lines are open. Call now, 877-757-9424. We're going to go to break. Come back, we'll do the game show. After the game show, we'll have more breaking news and stories. But then, later in this hour, we'll be speaking with Dr. Holly Ordway, who is an expert on Tolkien, a scholar on Tolkien. We're going to talk about his conversion and how he used his Christian Catholic faith to share an incredible story. You've heard about it. The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, all that's coming up. Don't go anywhere. Blessed John Paul II once said, As the family goes, so goes the nation, and so goes the whole world in which we live. How easy it is to point fingers and place blame for the mess in which our society has found itself. But stop just for a minute and ask, what have I done to make it better? Is my family doing anything to improve the world? Possibly the most effective thing a family can do for society is pray together regularly. Pray for our president every single day. Pray for all our government leaders, our bishops and priests, our teachers, our military, our business owners. Create a list of family petitions. If the teenager puts an anonymous prayer request on the list, let it be anonymous. Prayer is our greatest weapon to change the nation and the world. Remember what Father Patrick Payton said, the family that prays together stays together. This has been a minute for your marriage and family with Balanced Families Ministries. So many of us carry such heavy burdens. She's having a relationship with George. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. Deep within, we struggle because sin separates us from God. 
But thanks to the grace of confession, God compassionately listens, forgives, and sets us free. So if it's been a while since you've been to confession or mass, come home and experience a fresh start. Visit catholicscomehome.org. Having trouble with your car radio? No worries. The Guadalupe Radio Network has just released our new version of our app. With the app, you can get a crystal clear connection of your local station no matter where you are. You can also listen to podcasts of past shows and find more ways to connect with us. Getting the new app is easy. Just search the App Store on your phone for the Guadalupe Radio Network and either download it or if you already have it, choose the update option. Happy listening. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. (laughs) The Catholic trivia game show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. And now your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time and Fear and Trembling, the Catholic Trivia Game Show, where we have a, a fun time, a little laugh, a little chuckle, while at the same time uh, teaching a little bit about the faith, right? Maybe you learned something you just didn't know before about your Catholic faith, and that would be awesome. And you just, you never know, you could also win some prizes as well. So that's the agenda in the game show, and here's how it works. I have three questions in my hand that represents three opportunities, and I will not be asking these questions to our caller. Instead, I will ask them to Emily and to Adrian. One will have a right answer. The other will have a wrong answer. The caller will have 15 seconds on the clock to decide who's right, who's wrong, and uh, every right answer goes into the coffee cup of divine providence to win the, uh, the what was it? One more time. Tell them what they could win, Emily. (laughs) So this week's sponsor is Tan Books, and they are giving away their Mary Fabian Windet Lives of the Saints 20 book set for children. So this is valued at $226 on their website, although if you want to purchase it for yourself or your parish or your family, uh, it's on sale for $96, so that's over 50% off right now on tanbooks.com. Praise be to God. All right, so a bunch of calls came in. Everybody who tried to call, thank you for being uh, wanting to be a part of our game show. We're very grateful. Tomorrow is a new opportunity. Keep the number handy, and maybe you can be on the show tomorrow. Uh, but so I think it was like five or six calls. I don't know. Thank you. God bless you, and God love you. But Cynthia is calling in this morning. Good morning to you, Cynthia. Thank you for being on our program. Good morning. Cynthia, where are you calling from? San Antonio. San Antonio. Now, did you guys get snow the other day? I thought I heard a report that there was snow on the ground. Not where I live. I just have ice on my car. (laughs) Same. That's no fun. (laughs) I grew up in San Antonio, and I'll never forget. I think it was 1984. It was either 83 or 84. I was living right across the street from Madison High School, and we had snow on the ground, and we were all doing donuts in the parking lot of Madison High School. It was was like donuts? Yeah, in your car, how you do like you you do donuts with your car. I thought you meant you were eating donuts. No, I I did lots of that, too, but at any rate. Well, Praise God, Cynthia. Are, do you understand the rules, Cynthia? Do you, are you ready to play the game? Yes, sir. All right. Well, good luck to you, Cynthia. We're going to start with Emily, which is our as our custom here. Emily, are you ready? I'm ready. This one, this first one, could be tricky. Are you could ready? Could be. Okay. Are you ready? Let's do it, yeah. Are you sure? Mm-hmm. Okay. Here we go. In what city did Martin Luther 
post his thesis on the door of All Saints Church. I'm about to sound really dumb. I don't really know too many cities in Germany. <laughs> really? I used to live in Germany, actually. What? You did not. It's a I did not know that. Beautiful country. Okay, well, you got to give me a city, Emily. Hold on, let Time's me look right. up cities in you Germany. You can't Google it. I don't know it. Berlin. <laughs> that, that's your answer. It's Berlin. Yes. Berlin. Berlin. Okay. Yeah. Let's see what Adrian has to say. Adrian, save us here. Adrian, in what city did Martin Luther post his thesis on the door of All Saints Church? <laughs> that's that's easy. It was uh, it was Wittenberg, Germany, oh. or Wittenberg, Germany. You yeah. sound uh, more confident than Emily. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, college, you whiz. Fifteen seconds on the clock. I, somehow, I doubt you're going to need it, uh, Cynthia. Who's right? Who's wrong? Cynthia, what say you? I'll go. I'll go with Adrian. <laughs> I didn't see that coming, Cynthia. Congra- <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> Congratulations. You All got right, your, she's in. Your first uh, your first uh, <laughs> entry into the coffee cup of divine providence for the $200 value package for our children's books from Tan this week. We'll pull the winner's name on Friday. So uh, congratulations, Cynthia. You're already in the drawing. You're headed towards your next chance here. Now, okay, I think this one's going to be fairly easy, fairly easy. We're starting with you, Adrian, this time. Here we go. Adrian, what is the term... For one who was personally commissioned by Jesus Christ to proclaim the gospel throughout the world. The the person. What, uh, is, what is the term for one who was personally commissioned by Jesus Christ to proclaim the gospel throughout the world? Ooh, okay. Uh, so the person. So it's not... I was going to say great commission, but you said person. So it's not the great commission. Uh, I'm going to go with disciple. Disciple. A disciple, a disciple of God. Sounds reasonable. Sounds reasonable. Uh, Emily, Emily, what is the term for the one who was personally commissioned by Jesus Christ to proclaim the gospel throughout the world? So, Joe, I actually uh, studied Greek for a couple semesters, and yeah. I know that the word apostle comes from apostolos, which means one who is sent. So I'm going to go with apostle on this one. So you're telling me you've studied Greek, but you have no idea what cities are in Germany. <laughs> you studied Greek, not German. I'm just curious. Yeah, yeah come so. on, Joe. <laughs> Greece and Germany are two very different places. Koine Greek and German cities. They don't go hand in hand. Okay, uh, so your answer was one more time? Apostle. Apo- apostle. Apostle. Okay. So Emily is on the hook for apostle. Adrian is on the hook for disciple. 15 seconds on the clock. Cynthia, who's right? Who's wrong? What say you? I'm going to go with Adrian. Adrian for a, a second round. Survey says, I'm so oh, sorry, Cynthia. Cynthia. In fact, the an- she was right. Emily was right. It is Apostle. So congratulations. Uh, Emily, I meant. Congratulations. You got <laughs> the right you, answer. I'm sorry, Cynthia, that uh, that doesn't get you a chance in the cup. But you get one more opportunity here. And I'm willing to bet this is this this one should be easy. I would say this one should be easy. This is a word that has been said already in the show, so hopefully if you've been paying attention, this one will be easy. Are you ready, Cynthia? Are you yes. ready, Emily? Yes. Okay, here we go. What term is used to denote the three persons of the Trinity being of one and the same substance and essence? Want me to repeat? Yeah. What term is used to denote the three persons of the Trinity 
being of one and the same substance and essence. Um, I'm going to go with so same substance. I'm going to say su- super substantial. Okay. Very technical term there. Sounds reasonable. Could be super substantial. Let's see what Adrian has to say. Adrian, what term is used to denote the three persons of the Trinity being of one and the same substance and essence? Uh-huh. Well, that sounds like a difficult question, but it's actually it's in the creed. We say it like every Sunday at least, or if you say the creed every day, every day. It's consubstantial, you know, consubstantial with the Father. Uh, so I'm going to go with consubstantial. Emily's on the hook for super, super substantial. Super substantial. Adrian's on the hook for consubstantial. Lots of substantials being flown around here. Uh, 15 seconds on the clock. Who's right? Who's wrong? Cynthia, what say you? I'm with Adrian. You're going with it. You've you've gone triple threat oh, on three Adrian. Times. It, it happens Survey every once in a while. Says, <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> well done, Cynthia. But, uh, Emily tried to throw you on that one. I noticed the look in her eye. She was like, I'm going to get her. But uh, you did not <laughs> fall for that, Cynthia. Congratulations. You're in the coffee cup of, of uh, divine providence for two tries this week. So uh, we're very excited that you are part of our Thank program you. today. Well, I'm excited uh, to have been part of your program, too. Praise be to God. Uh, hold tight. Don't go anywhere, Cynthia. We're going to put you on hold. We're going to take your information, because if you're the winner, we're going to have to call you to arrange the shipping of this week's uh, 20 children's books from TAN. It's a $200 value. So best of luck to you, Cynthia. God love you, and have a great day. Thank you. Going to put her on hold. That's going to do it for Fear and Trembling. Stick around. We're going to go to break. We're going to come back. We'll have more breaking news and stories with Emily Alcarez. And we'll have a conversation with Dr. Holly Ordway about Tolkien, his conversion, his Catholic faith. That's coming up. Atheists claim theists are essentially no different than atheists because we reject gods too, such as Greek and Roman gods. But this is plain absurdity. What's our reason? First, it's an abuse of language. A theist believes in at least one God. An atheist doesn't believe in any God. They're mutually exclusive terms. To say a theist is an atheist to most gods is like saying a married man is a bachelor to most women. Second, it's bad reasoning. To say I'm an atheist because I reject some gods is like saying I'm an anarchist, one who rejects all forms of government because I reject communism and fascism, some forms of government. But that's silly. So the claim that atheists and theists are no different doesn't hold water. I'm Carlo Brusord with the ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com. Father John Bartunik, in his book, The Better Part, wrote, Gratitude is one of the most beautiful flowers in the whole garden of virtues. It directly contradicts self-centeredness, self-indulgence, and self-absorption. It builds bridges, unites communities, and softens hearts. It encourages and inspires. It cuts through discouragement and counteracts depression. It opens the soul to the truth and releases anxiety. It brings smiles and gladness wherever it blooms. What a pity that it is as rare as it is lovely. When was the last time you were truly grateful to our Lord for the spouse He has given to you? When was the last time that you told your spouse you are very grateful for him or her? Gratitude goes a long way in healing wounds. Give it a try. Go home today and tell your spouse how grateful to God you are that he or she married you. This has been a minute for your marriage and family. 
from the Three Hearts Institute. You can connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Welcome back to the Catholic Drive Time Show. I'm Emily Alcaraz, and these are your Tuesday morning headlines. Parler has sued Amazon and is asking the court to reinstate their platform. The social media company sued Amazon on Monday, alleging that the Seattle-based firm's hosting service violated antitrust laws and their contractual agreement. The company, which was taken offline by Amazon services early Monday morning, asked a federal judge in Washington state to reject Amazon's shutdown of its services. Parler argued that Amazon's move was motivated by political animus and designed to reduce competition to benefit Twitter. Twitter's a customer of Amazon Web Services division. The Amazon Trust and Safety team suspended Parler and the company said they are seeking an alternative web hosting service. The FBI is warning that armed protests are being planned at state capitals across the country in advance of Inauguration Day. According to an internal FBI bulletin obtained by ABC News, armed protests are being planned at all 50 state capitals. ABC journalist Aaron Katursky also said that the FBI received information about an identified armed group intending to travel to Washington, D.C. on January 16th. They have warned that if Congress attempts to remove Trump via the 25th Amendment, a huge uprising will occur. Federal law enforcement agencies have reportedly advised state police departments to be on high alert and bolster their security forces at government buildings to guard against potential attacks. AT&T and Verizon have stopped allowing donations to go to lawmakers who called for election integrity. American Express, Blue Cross Blue Shield, Commerce Bank, Dow, and Marriott were among other corporations to announce the suspension of donations to Republican congressional members who objected to the electoral vote certification. In a statement on Monday, AT&T said it would suspend contributions to members of Congress who voted to object to the certification of electoral college votes last week, such as Senators Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley. The culture of life continues to gain traction in America. A a report shows that 45 abortion facilities were closed last year. Operation Rescue has also reported that Missouri has become the first abortion-free state. There are currently 706 active abortion facilities in the U.S. Since Operation Rescue began tracking the number of abortion facilities in 2009, surgical abortion facilities have decreased in number by 255. Since 91, there has been an incredible 79% drop in the number of surgical abortion facilities nationwide. I'm Emily Alcaraz, and these are your Tuesday morning headlines through a Catholic lens. Praise be to Jesus Christ in all things. Just want to remind you really quickly, uh, starting January the 18th, we will be broadcasting a live mass from our, the Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. That is the Soul Chapel. Very beautiful chapel, by the way. That's going to be broadcast Monday through Friday, 7.30 a.m. Central, 8.30 a.m. Eastern, right here across the Guadalupe Radio Network, and, and I would invite you to tune into it. The Catholic Drive Time team will then uh, spend their la- our last half hour of the program on social media, and you can join us there if you'd like. But January 18th, mark your calendar, live broadcast from the Corpus Christi Chapel 
in uh, Corpus Christi uh, live broadcast mass. But uh, joining us right now by Zoom chat is Dr. Holly Ordway. She is a visiting professor at University of the Houston Baptist University, holds a PhD in English from the University of Massachusetts Amherst. She is the author of Apologetics and the Christian Imagination, as well as uh, I think Not God's Type, uh, which is about her conversion experience. Dr. Ordway is also a published poet and subject uh, editor for the Journal of Inkling Studies, and her academic work focuses on the writings of the Inklings, especially C.S. Lewis, J.R.R. Tolkien. Her current book project is the Tolkien's Modern Reading, uh, Middle Earth Beyond and Beyond the Middle... Let me start over. Modern Readings, Middle Earth Beyond the Middle Ages, forthcoming from Word on Fire in 2021. Boy, I really got that wrong, but Dr. Holly Ordway, good morning to you. Thanks for being on the program. Good morning. My pleasure. I've seen a lot of videos on Facebook lately of you traveling. I think you're in the UK and uh, sort of uh, reliving some of the places and the moments of Tolkien's life. Uh, what got you interested in J.R.R. Tolkien? Well, I read uh, The Hobbits um, as, a, as a girl and then read The Lord of the Rings um, again as a, as a girl. I don't even remember when I first read them. I just remember rereading them. And uh-huh. uh it's just been really formative for me. And then um, he's an author that I've kept coming back to when I was doing my graduate work. I looked at The Lord of the Rings and looked at his great essay on fairy stories. Um, it was just very influential for me also in becoming a Christian and that he was one of the examples of of an author I loved who believed in something that at that point in my life I didn't believe in. So I thought, well, if, if Tolkien's, if Tolkien believes this Christian stuff and so does C.S. Lewis and so do these other poets that I love, well, you know, maybe I at least ought to kind of look into it and see what they understood. And, you know, that's something that I, that I talk about in my, in my memoir, not God's type, but more, you know, more of the last few years, well, the last decade, actually, I've been working on this book, Tolkien's modern reading um, exploring this question of where did the Lord of the Rings come from? Mm. Because it's someone who's been interested in fantasy literature, you know, for <laughs> my entire life, basically. Um, the Lord of the Rings is this masterpiece um, and is beloved by pretty much, you know, <laughs> a huge range of people from you know, non-believers, Catholics of all kinds, Christians of all kinds. And this this book is just such a masterpiece and typically people have assumed that it's sort of backward looking, that it's nostalgic, that's stuck in the past, that Tolkien, because he studied medieval languages, that's that's all he cared about, that he didn't he didn't like anything after Chaucer. That's mm-hmm. really a widespread view for a variety of reasons that I talk about in my book. But what I discovered is that that's actually completely incorrect. He really did read very widely in modern literature. And he really engaged thoughtfully in modern culture. He, he followed the news. He read the newspapers. He, he was interested in these things. He was actually had a very nuanced view towards science and technology. Hmm. I just found that to be fascinating. And I'm particularly pleased that this book is coming out from Ward on Fire because I now work for Ward on Fire um, as for the Ward on Fire Institute as fellow of faith and culture. And so in my role of, you know, in helping to engage with culture, helping Catholics to understand the culture and engage with it, I think it's very fitting that this book, which is the fruit of 10 years labor, hmm. is, is coming out with Word on Fire, because I discovered, completely to my surprise, honestly, that Tolkien is a really good model for how a Catholic can thoughtfully engage with modern culture, you know, discerning what's good, discerning what isn't so good, 
and and engaging with it in a productive and and healthy way. Now, in the run up to this conversation this hour, I've been misreporting. Emily has called me out on fake news. I, I kept saying the conversion of Tolkien, but uh, to, it wasn't Tolkien that converted, right? It was, I guess, it was his mother. Yeah, his mother Mabel. Um, when he was a boy, um, so he he was born uh, in Church of England. Um, actually, well, I say in the Church of England, you know. In terms of communion, but he was actually born in Bloemfontein, South Africa, mm. uh, as a little sort of biographical point. Um, and they came to to England when he was only three years old. Um, his father died, um, and then his mother um, became a Catholic and was abandoned by the family. Um, they they cut her off um, very, wow. very you know abruptly. Um, and her sister had also converted at the time, had faced the same pressure, and her sister backed off and and left the church um you know and, and said well okay then i won't be a catholic um but mabel tolkien's mother stuck with it um because she she was convinced that you know that was true and she stuck with it and this actually contributed to her death um in in tolkien's mind and i think accurately because she became ill with diabetes uh, which at that time was not not treatable they hadn't discovered insulin yet but if she had had better just general health care which she could have had if <clears throat> if she'd had more money, she probably would have lived longer at any rate. But being you know cut off from the family, they were very poor. Um, she died um, quite quite quickly and left mm-hmm. Tolkien an orphan. Um, so he um, is not exactly a convert, um, but he did enter the church at the age of reason, um, and so he he was you know, kind of a, um, what's it called, rocking horse Catholic, not a, not quite a cradle Catholic, but <laughs> from, from boyhood. That's great. But I think the, that's actually, that's not my, uh, that's not my invention. It's uh, um, an author whose name I now can't remember, but anyway. <laughs> um, so um, he definitely embraced the faith um, in a conscious way. Um, and he very easily could have walked away from it, you know, as, as a young man, knowing that, you know, his, his mother's death could have provoked him to go either way. He could have rejected the faith that arguably contributed to um, her passing away um, untimely, or he could have done what he did, which is to say, no, this is true. And my mother stuck with it um, at a cost and I too will stick with it. And so he was a devout Catholic his entire life. He never had a lapsed period. Um, He was, he was always very self-critical and very hard on himself, um, you know, about his own failings, uh, which I, I think just shows that he was just very serious about his faith. Mm. Um, but he, but he never fell away. He always stuck with it. And I think it's a really beautiful witness. I think both his mother and, and himself, you know, uh, I didn't grow up with Tolkien. I didn't even know he existed. Never heard the name. I didn't hear the name of C.S. Lewis. I didn't hear the name of of Chesterton, for for that matter, uh, until I was an adult and a convert to the Catholic faith already. Um, since now, I have six kids, two grandkids. Now, my children are Tolkien raving lunatic fans. Uh, you know, they try to memorize the Cimmerillion and they try to memorize, uh, you know, uh, Elvish and, and you know, and I just roll my eyes, you know, when they. At the dinner tables. But uh, what's interesting to me is I remember, I think it was a year or two years ago, I, w- I found a documentary on YouTube about Tolkien and his life. 
And this is fairly old. This looked like at least the 80s. Could have been late 70s. I don't know. It is fairly old. It was on YouTube. And in that video, his brother, I guess this is a Jesuit priest, uh, said, said that he did not believe his brother in, was, had included his faith in Lord of the Rings or, or The Hobbit. I was put back by that. Um, what would, what do you, now having you studied his life as thoroughly as you have, did, uh, Tolkien try to share his Catholic faith through his fictional works or, or not? He did, but I can see exactly why. That would, that would have been his son, um, Father John Tolkien, um, who, who became a priest. Oh, um, okay. Um, his, his brother Hillary, um, was, uh, was a farmer actually. Um, in any case, um, it's the, the answer is yes, he did, but there's a good reason why people say no, he didn't, because he was very keen on doing it in, a, in an um, understated way. So there's a very famous line that in one of his letters where he explains to someone, he says that the Lord of the Rings is a fundamentally religious and Catholic work, um, unconsciously in the writing and consciously in the revision, Okay, so there's a profound statement that he intends it to be Catholic. He, he, he makes it deliberately so as he revises it. But then listen to what he says after that. He says, and that is why I've cut out all the overt religious references in the book. <laughs> so it's, it's paradoxical until you come to grips with the way that Tolkien's mind worked. He wanted to engage at the deeper level, at the kind of mythic level, at the level of kind of images and, and, and deep structures, not at the overt, oh, I recognize that's a Jesus figure kind of level. Like in C.S. Lewis's uh, Chronicles of Narnia. Exactly, yes. Um, because he felt that the Chronicles of Narnia were too overt. They were too, um, too directly plain in their presentation of the Christian faith. And he wanted, in his work, to be kind of more, you know, un under the radar, if I can use that term. He wanted to be more subtle. So he, he puts in, if you look at it, you can see there's, you know, it's a fundamentally Catholic vision. And at one point, there's an interview that he did um, where the interviewer asked him something about, um, you know, who is, who is Eru, who is Iluvatar, that's the, that's the god of, of mentioned in the Silmarillion. Um, and he says, oh, well, that's, that's God. There is only one God. So he's very clear that the God that's mentioned in his in the world of Middle Earth is the one God, because as he said, he's a devout Catholic. That that's true. There is only one God, and that God is the one that's referenced in his world of Middle Earth. But what does he do? He puts it in, in frames it in layers of story and 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 character, so that it's not obvious. So that when we're reading it, we can think about themes of good and evil. I mean, the Lord of the Rings is profoundly a meditation on death. Um, Tolkien once said that the whole theme of the book is death and the desire for deathlessness. That's a fundamentally Christian and Catholic view. Um, we hit a meditation on power and the misuse of power, on mercy and pity. Uh, so there's all these really deeply, profoundly Christian aspects of the Lord of the Rings, but very deeply put in so that nothing distracts us. Um, we don't get let off on, on minutia. So he, he's, he's doing kind of yes and no approach to doing mm. the Catholic element in his fiction. So Dr. Ordway, um, your new book is based on Tolkien's uh, vision, 
that is sort of eternal and not limited to his own time period. What do you think Tolkien would say to, to our day and age? I can see how these themes are still relevant. You know, I think we've all been um, meditating on death a whole lot this year. But what would you say Tolkien would say to our modern world? Well, I think he would he would say that the issues that we're dealing with are are perennial, um, and that you've got to just stay focused on on the fundamental truths of of the faith and of human experience. And I think Tolkien, one of the reasons Tolkien's such a powerful figure for our present day is that he he went through more change in his life than than you can almost imagine. Uh, you know, he he was born when you know horses were used as a you know main form of travel, but when he died, there were supersonic jets. I mean, when he was born, they were still using cavalry in military charges. When he died, Britain had a nuclear arsenal. I mean, the the scope of that is just astonishing. Um, and so he he lived, he fought in the First World War. He fought in the trenches. Um, he got very sick from um, trench fever, suffered from that the rest of his life, really it affected his health. Um, he lived through the Second World War. Um, his, his sons were, you know, his son Christopher was a, a Royal Air Force pilot, you know, one of the most dangerous positions that you can possibly have had in the Second World War. Um, so he lived through an amount of turmoil that personally lived through that that is just astonishing. And yet... He continued to raise his family, you know, stayed married to his wife, Edith, raised four children, had an academic career. Um, and oh, by the way, you know, wrote these amazing books and kept on with his Catholic faith all the way through his life, even through all the, the tumult of all this. So I think he's in a way a model for that kind of faithfulness, you know, keeping your eyes on the on the on the real things and not getting too distracted. We're talking with Dr. Holly Ordway, uh, a scholar on Tolkien and other subjects, but we're talking about Tolkien today. Uh, I, and I know there's a lot of parents out there whose, uh, whose children have really loved to read uh, Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit and, uh, and maybe some of the other works as well. But one of the questions um, that I had was about C.S. Lewis, really, and about their relationship, Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. Uh, I've heard it said that uh, that C.S. Lewis would get annoyed with Tolkien for trying to convert him all the time. Uh, what was the nature of their relationship? Well, it was a relationship that spanned many years, um, from first meeting as you know young academics um, in Oxford, all the way you know to well, to Lewis's death in 1963. So, like any relationship, it had its you know ups and its downs. Um, but it, they were fundamentally very good friends. Um, and I think sometimes people try to heighten, like they play up moments of discord in that friendship hmm. because I don't know. I guess people find it exciting to think that you know Narnia versus Middle Earth or something. <laughs> uh, there is no contest. It's definitely you know Lord of the Rings. I'm just saying it's just that's the way it is. Good luck. Yeah, I, I, love, I love them both. Yeah. I love them both. Um, <laughs> but I mean, certainly. Lewis never became a Catholic, and that was something that obviously Tolkien was sad about. He wished that he had taken the rest of that step. Um, but Tolkien was absolutely fundamental to Lewis becoming a Christian at all. I mean, he really made the arguments um, to to Lewis on that famous Addison's Walk um, episode 
where Lewis was able to say, oh, I get it. I get it about Christianity being the true myth, the, the myth that actually happened in history. It was Tolkien who put that argument to him. So, so Lewis, you know, recognized that. Um, and that, I mean, that's pretty fundamental. And so, sure, you know, Lewis had, you know, kind of mixed feelings and some misconceptions about Catholicism. Um, and he never, never became a Catholic. But, you know, the Inklings as a whole were a mix of Christians of different traditions. And Tolkien was perfectly comfortable with that, with that environment. So I, I don't think there was any tension in terms of, of, the, uh, of the Catholic angle in that respect. Um, I mean, yeah, they, they did disagree um, on some points. Uh, but again, how could, how could you imagine they wouldn't disagree when their whole friendship was based around getting together at the Eagle and Child and having these boisterous conversations where they would disagree about everything um, very vehemently um, and then, you know, have their beer and, and you know, <laughs> go home. <laughs> so we have that. Um, now, to be sure, you know, later in life, um, Tolkien was grieved by the fact that Lewis never, didn't tell him about, about getting married. Um, cause he, he first he had that very strange episode where he, he first married Joy Gresham um, in a civil ceremony just to help her stay in England as a friend. And then they fell in love and then end up getting married a second time by an Anglican priest and then actually being husband and wife. Um, and that's just a very strange episode in Lewis's life. It's it's a bit <laughs> it's just like, OK, that's that's strange. Um, and the fact that. <laughs> The fact that he went a whole year without telling his friends that he had done this civil marriage. Yeah. You know, I, I can see rightly that Tolkien was a bit hurt by that. Like, come on, man, you're my friend and you, you failed to tell me this like thing that you did. Um, so I think that that stung. But, you know, after that, they, you know, they carried on. And I think, again, Tolkien... He was a faithful Catholic, and he understood the importance of forgiveness. Um, and I think it's significant that in Lewis's later years, um, Tolkien actually pretty much moved heaven and earth to get him a teaching job at Cambridge University, the chair of medieval and Renaissance literature, that he knew was going to be ideal for Lewis. Um, this is after, you know, um, this is after uh, Joy's death. Um, he's... He basically moves heaven and earth to get that job for him. Um, and that's something that he he really would only have done, I think, out of true friendship. Because, you know, it took a lot of effort, a lot of work for him to secure this job for Lewis. Um, and again, doing it purely out of out of friendship. Um, so I think the relationship is is complex. But these are two complex men with, you know, lots going on in their lives. Uh, mm. And I think the fundamental thing is that they did have that core friendship. Um, even though they weren't both Catholics, they did have that core respect and love for the Lord. And I, I think it's a, a good model for us, you know. We're, we have about five minutes left in our interview with Dr. Holly Ordway, who is uh, writing Tolkien's Modern Reading. And she's also a fellow at the Word on Fire Institute. Dr. Ordway, I wanted to hear a little bit more about your conversion. So can you tell us uh, what made you, why were you an atheist and what convinced you to convert to ca the Catholic faith? Well, I grew up in a non-religious household. So I basically started as kind of a complete pagan. Um, and then when I went off to college, I was just exposed to you know, the, the general secular narrative that Christianity is just, you know, a historical curiosity at best, a stupid superstition at, you know, at most. 
and I just picked it up. I absorbed it. Um, I had atheist friends and just kind of went with it. And I lacked any exposure to thoughtful Christians. I think that's really key. Um, I didn't have anybody presenting you know, a witness of a thoughtful faith. I just didn't know anybody who was a Christian. And the things I saw in the media were all very stereotyped, very extreme, again, not presenting anything that, that made it even worth considering um, to be a Christian. And so, you know, going forward, I just became more and more convinced that, that atheism was true. Um, so by the time I was in my 20s, I thought, you know, all religion is just, this, you know, made up, you know, we, it's pretty grim, but we got to face it. There's no such thing as God, etc. Um, and and yet, all these authors whom I really loved were devout Christians. And you know, I wrote my dissertation on fantasy, engaged with Lewis, engaged with Tolkien. So by the time I got into my first teaching position um, as a professor of English, and I was, again, coming back to teaching Christian poetry because it was good poetry, I just really found myself saying, you know, maybe there's maybe this isn't quite as stupid and shallow as <laughs> as I thought because these these authors like Tolkien and Lewis, you know, I, whom I admire so much, they believe it. So why don't I kind of investigate? And uh, that was what what got me <laughs> into trouble, so to speak, because as I began to finally ask, what do Christians believe? Willing to hear the answers and not dismiss them, mm-hmm. then I became convinced that it they believed it because it was true. Um, so I I was a became a Christian, um, was an Episcopalian for a few years, um, and then became a Catholic um, a few years later as I realized that the question of authority really was what drew me in. You know, I, I accepted that the Bible is the word of God, but where do we get the Bible? How do we interpret it? Um, I you know, have many friends and colleagues from across different Christian traditions, and I saw that these people from very different backgrounds genuinely love the Lord, they're faithful Christians, um, they're sincere, they're intelligent, they're thoughtful. So it, it didn't allow me to say, well, I'm just smarter than they are or, or more devout. No, absolutely not. These people are intelligent, thoughtful, devout, and yet they believe totally incompatible things. You know, Does baptism actually remove original sin or not? And that led me to look for the place that could actually give me a definitive answer. And then mm. that was the Catholic Church. I want to encourage you, dear listener, to pick up her book, uh, Not God's Type, an Atheist Academic Lays Down Her Arms, published by Ignatius Press uh, back in 2014. Uh, now, this, uh, we have, we're out of time here. We've been speaking with Dr. Holly Ordway about Tolkien. When do you expect this book to come out uh, from uh, Word on Fire? you got about 15 seconds. It comes out on January 25th, so very soon. And All right. Everyone can- Look, wordonfire.org slash Tolkien. Dr. Holly Ordway, thank you for being on with us and sharing with us the life of J.R.R. Tolkien. We're very grateful to you. Thanks. God love you. God bless you. That's going to do it for Catholic Drive Time for today. Uh, make sure you check out the YouTube channel, Catholic Drive Time. You just search for the Catholic Drive Time there. You'll be able to find the individual conversations we've been having on today's program, uh, as well as uh, Saint of the Day. We'll post those as well. But if you want the full two hours, Facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time or uh, YouTube.com forward slash GRN Online are great places to go. Plus, the audio podcast is available at GRN Online. 
Moneyline.com forward slash CDT. By the way, while you're there, pick up the raffle tickets to the Mercedes. You could win a cool car. God love you. We'll see you tomorrow morning right here, Catholic Drive Time. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you.